Well, uh, this morning we're talking about um, grief and loss, and so I've asked uh, Travis and Jen to come talk to us this morning. Most of you know Travis because he and David uh, lead worship here about once a month, but this is his wife, Jen, his definitely better looking half, don't you think? Yep. And uh, much better hair, too. Mm, thank you. Travis tried to get me to do my hair that way. Yeah. What do you think? It, 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 you're pretty no. sweet guys. That's what I'm talking about. Thank you. you no, you, you don't. You don't want to see that. It's, gray hair done that way just does not have the same effect. Doesn't have the same effect. Well, um, wanted you to hear uh, Travis and Jen's story uh, about what God has done in their lives these last few months. But maybe give us a, a little background. Travis, tell us. Where you met, how long you know each other, how long you've been married, all that stuff that we need to know so that all this makes sense. Well, Jen and I, uh, just actually a couple weeks ago, celebrate, celebrated 10 years of dating, uh, and we've been married for four years, and we, I met this beautiful girl when uh, we were 17, and uh, we were in the show choir at our high school together, and, you know, spirit fingers, sequin vests, all that stuff, that was us. And I was like, man, if I could be that girl's dance partner... That would be huge. And I got her. And here we are, yeah. 10 years later. So there is something good about show choirs. Right. Yeah. right. Not that spirit fingers aren't an attraction. Um, so about four years ago, you guys got married. And uh, Jen, bring us up to date on some things you guys found out once you got married and as you started uh, considering having children. Okay. Um. Well, after we got married, we moved to Virginia for a couple years and then came here about two years ago. And when we moved here, we, were think, we thought, you know, it would be, it'd be great to have a family. Um, we kind of never prevented it from happen- happening. It just never happened. So about a year ago, we thought, well, maybe we'll go to the doctor, see, see what's going on. And the doctor said, um, you definitely, you can get pregnant, but it's just going to be more difficult for you. There's some medication we can put you on, and if you want to go that route. So... Um, we talked about it and prayed about it, and I ended up going on some medication. And four months down the road, I was getting kind of frustrated, and um, I think it was last June. Um, and then right when I started to get kind of frustrated, I found out uh, one Sunday afternoon that I was pregnant. Well, Travis, maybe uh, a little background from you. Uh, you and I have talked about how you felt in the past about fatherhood and those kind of things. Tell us a little bit about your journey. Yeah, when we first got married, my, my focus was just... Uh, being married and enjoying that and getting the career going and finishing up school and uh, the whole concept of being a father wasn't really a main focus and then as our uh, as years kind of continued and I started to see the, the, the dream in my in my wife's eyes of wanting to be a mother that dream started to, to become mine um, but just always with that thought of you know when will you be ready to be a father like how will you know when you're ready and all my friends that are dads are just like, you'll never be ready. It just happens, and get ready. So, And then along this time, you had an interesting conversation with your mother. Yeah, I was up in Michigan having lunch with my mom. And, you know, we were on this journey for a, a couple years of not being able to, you know, have a child. So I'm like, well, this concept of, a, of adoption and what would that look like for us? And I was just like, you know, that's just like, how do I dive into adopting, you know? Like, how am I not going to be ready to take that plunge? Um, and I was just like, you know, Mom, I wonder if maybe God would just give us a child first 
and then and then we'll adopt. So then I can be ready because I really love the 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 concept of adoption and the concept of rescuing a child in need. So Travis is in Michigan talking to his mother. You're at home finding this all out. So Travis gets home. Tell us about the emotions of of what happened when you told Travis what was. Yeah, he gets home and he kind of tells me about his afternoon, and I said, that's great. And, um, well, he, you know, sit down, and I told him we, I found out I was pregnant today, and he was just kind of tears started rolling down his face, and um, we kind of just hit the floor on our knees and started praying. And um, so, but anyway, we knew it would, in the back of our heads, it would be high risk, or this may not be, um, you know, so we just started praying, and. So it was a lot of emotions all in one night, a lot of different, a lot of different things. And then, not long, things start going downhill. Yeah. The next day, I went to the doctors, and they said you're definitely pregnant. Um, three to four weeks along, um, but a couple numbers aren't looking right. So come back in two days. We'll we'll check again. And in two days later, we found out that it was an early stage of a miscarriage. So um, yeah, so that was you know that was rough. What kind of feelings did you guys have then, Trav, as far as, you know, it only, some people would say, well, it's only been four weeks. What, uh, what was going I, th- I think for us it was, you know, we were on this journey of, of trying for so long, and then, you know, I had this talk with my mom, and then, like, it happens, and we have this miracle, this, this child, and, and then just the, the, the questions of just, you know, being real, you know, God, why, you know, like, of just being honest, like this just doesn't make sense. What are you trying to show us through this? What are you trying to teach us? It was just kind of this roller coaster as the levels of the child were going up and down, and is it going to make it? Is it not? And so, how did you grieve? Well, for a couple of days, you know, I was just broken on my knees, and I think it's okay to ask why. And um, uh, Travis and I just through praying together and. Um, we prayed with his parents on the phone on our knees and um, just being broken together. And, and God uses his people. He used a lot of close friends of mine and my sister-in-law. And um, and I just always thought in my head, you know, if God had to suffer for us, if Jesus had to suffer for us, who am I to complain about suffering? And, you know, you grow stronger and you persevere. And um, good things did come out of something that was bad. So mm-hmm. hindsight. You know, it's interesting, a lot of people ask that question, why did God do this to me? Why? What's going on? What's, what's happening? And yet you guys are s- seeming to say it's okay to ask that question, that, it, that it's healthy. Um, what would you say to someone who's experienced loss, Jim? Hmm. Just what you said, it's okay to ask why. Um, it's okay to have that broken time, um, but just to go to your knees and ask God why and, and turn to him and his people um, for strength. And, you know, it's every, every loss is different. So there's, you know, but um, to just not give up hope. Last night we were praying just before we came in to uh, the celebration, and this phrase came to my mind is that we are a people who claim that we trust God with our eternal soul. And yet we so often struggle with trusting him with the events of life. And this is one of those events, and we all have these kind of events in our lives where we have to trust God. I appreciate 
Travis and Jen Sharon, um, this part of their life. Thanks, Travis and Jen. Let's pray. God, uh, in the midst of the raw emotion of grief, God, may we know what the truth is. In the midst of loss that we may suffer either now or in the past or in the future, God, may we know what it means to truly have faith in our God. Help us as we look at your word today, as we look at this challenging part of life of dealing with loss and grief. And we thank you that you promise you are with us in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, everybody, big deep breath. This past weekend, uh, we took time to acknowledge seasons of joy in our life. And uh, we took the time to be thankful and express our gratefulness, our gratitude to God. Together, many of us, those of us who were here, built a gratitude tree filled with the blessings of our lives, and we've left it up here on the side. And uh, those of you who weren't here or you weren't here at this celebration last week, this is what it ended up looking like by noon. Thousands upon thousands of blessings that God has brought into our life. The reality of life, though, is that there are other seasons, and not all of them are times of joy. Grief and pain enter our lives, and we experience loss. The loss of a loved one, the loss of a relationship, the loss of a marriage, maybe the loss of a business or a job, the loss of our independence as we age, the loss of our purity to poor decisions, even the loss of a dream. This weekend as a community and as those gathered to worship God, we come together to grieve, to recount our losses, whatever they may be. We come to allow God's healing salve to do its work. God wants us to heal. He really does. Just consider these verses from the psalm. Psalm 119.28 says, My soul is weary with sorrow, so strengthen me according to your word. Psalm 46.10 tells us to be still and know that I am God. I really think we, we all want that to be true of us. We, we desire to be strengthened by his word in times of sorrow and hurt and grief. I believe most of us really want to be able to trust God and to know that he is in control when we're in the valleys of life. But how do we practically do that? We live in a culture and society that uh, doesn't like to acknowledge loss or talk about its impact, really. We watch tragedy flow in 30-second clips on the newscast, and then we move on to the next one. We've also never really been taught and convinced of the normalcy of grief, and so we have a very real issue. Making matters worse is the fact that it, some teaching in Christian circles by some Christian leaders gives the impression that if you suffer loss, you must not be at a level that you're spiritual enough. And some even give the impression that good Christians 
really good Christians will smile through hurt with a kind of, well, praise the Lord anyway attitude. Pain, loss, and hurt are very real. And they cannot be addressed with simple platitudes and simple answers. They have to be acknowledged as such, even by the very best of Christians. There is no escaping pain in life. Nowhere are we promised that God will shield us from hurt and from pain and from loss. Psalm 23, probably the most famous passage in all of Scripture, says that I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. As a fact of life, the psalmist doesn't say, if I walk, but I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. We will all walk there. We will all walk in the place of loss. Whether it be death or another loss in our life, we will all spend time in the valleys because there will be valleys. So this morning I want to take some time and just make sure we understand some of what it means to grieve and some of the emotions that go with it. There are two words we want to make sure we understand. The first word is the word grief. Grief. It's kind of the mo- grief is that moment when the bottom falls out of life. And solid footing is gone. It can be the, as we've said, the loss of a loved one or the end of a marriage or relationship, the betrayal of trust, whatever it may be, there is a feeling of rawness and fragileness to it. In a moment, we can feel completely alone. Even Jesus discovered this place of grief, that place of aloneness. Isaiah 53 describes Jesus as a man of sorrows who was acquainted with grief. He knew it well. The second word is the word mourning. And this is the process through which grace, through which grief is expressed. It's a God-given process of recovery, I believe. God has given us the gift of mourning to help us through the pain of loss. Mourning is a decision to move forward somehow. It's a bit like being on a trip without an accurate map. We sort of know the way. We kind of know the destination we're going to and the direction, but there's no real clear route because it's morning and it is our morning. There are some emotions attached with loss and with grief. And I would say that they are bound up in what we'll call the ball of grief. If you have your notes, you can take it out of your bullet and you'll see their picture of what we're talking about. These crazy feelings <laughs> that are bound up in no real order. I think they're actually a sane response to grief. This is what God has given us so that we can deal with the hurt and the loss in our lives. The thing about grief is that it's different for every one of us. If you look at the people on your row, you will see that many different kinds and ways of grief. And it's not only different for each one of us, it's different for you and me in different times. We may grieve one way in one situation and in one loss and grieve a completely different way in another loss. Grief is universal but it is also extremely personal. 
So we're going to look at a handful of these emotions that we saw in that ball of grief. The first is emptiness, loneliness, isolation, just that sense of nothing. When you lose someone, there are holes created in your life. When you suffer the loss of, of a thing or a job or a situation, there, there are holes in your life. Often the loss of one relationship means the loss of others that are connected to it. Those who have gone through the pain of divorce know this. That it isn't just about losing a spouse, it's about the sense that you've lost an entire portion of family. The loss of a job is more than about the loss of an income. It's a, it's a loss of relationships with those that you have worked with. The loss of that sense of responsibility that you may have to the family who is taken care of by that income. And this emotion can take over to the place where we become what I'll call foot watchers, where we just look down and we try to put one foot in front of the other as best we can. Maybe that isolation that you, we feel in those times is also a sense of isolation from God and that God is somehow not there. The famous writer C.S. Lewis lost his wife Joy to cancer and he wrote of it often. And in his journal, this is what he wrote. Where is God? This is one of the most disquieting symptoms when you're happy, so happy that you have no sense of needing him, so happy that you're tempted to feel his claims upon you as an interruption, if you remember yourself and turn to him with gratitude and praise, you will be or so it feels welcomed with open arms. But go to him when your need is desperate, when all other help is vain, and what do you find? A door slammed in your face, and a sound of bolting and double bolting on the inside, and after that, silence. You may as well turn away, because the longer you wait, the more emphatic the silence will become. A sense in his loss that somehow God was not even there. Job in scripture asked why and what did he get? He received the loud silence of God. The prophet Habakkuk asked why. But the silence of the Lord was again loud. And so we go through the emotion of an emptiness and an isolation, even from God, of loneliness from the loss. Another emotion that we can go through is fear and anxiety. These kind of emotions invade us and they begin to quickly accumulate on top of one another. The fear of being alone, the fear of the future the fear of additional loss, the fear of desertion or abandonment. You know, grief is intense and in and of itself it creates anxiety. And then we begin to have new fears that pile upon that anxiety. And so fear upon fear upon fear. When I lose control in one life, one part of my life, doesn't it feel like we lose control in all areas of our lives? Like everything just starts to go to pot. The uncertainty of loss is a burden added to the loss itself. And so we have to fight through anxiety and through fear. Another emotion is guilt. The regrets. 
whether for things that we are truly responsible for or not, whether we could have done anything about this or not, they come in the form of should-haves and could-haves. I should have done this. I should have been here. I should have said this. I could have gone about this in a different way. I believe those kind of emotions are best dealt with through confession. To just let them come out. Identify them. Write them down. Say them out loud. Just say you're sorry. Seek the forgiveness of God. Ask Him to take them off your heart. Those regrets, that guilt. Because in reality there is... There are many points where we really can't do anything about those. And then we have to move on. Another emotion is the emotion of denial. This is a refusal to accept the reality of the loss. We believe that in denying its existence, the loss won't have any impact on us. So we kind of move into a a portion of life where we kind of say, well, that, that person didn't pass away. That job was not lost. That person did not betray me. I didn't make that poor decision, whatever it may be. We move into a time of denial. We know that in reality it's not true, but within us is a desire to avoid the hurt. And so in order to avoid the hurt, we deny that the hurt ever happened. I think there are several levels we have to move through to overcome the denial. First, we have to accept it in our heads. We just have to wrap our minds around it. And then we have to accept it in our feelings and allow ourselves to move into some emotions that allow allow those feelings to come out. And then I believe we have to adjust life's patterns to reflect the reality of what has occurred. See, the reality of loss is that we don't go back to life as it has always been. You know, moving on doesn't mean moving on in the same way. We have to adjust to the reality of the change that's taken place and move forward in a new way. Whatever the loss may be, our life will never be, di- will never be the same. The loss of a loved one, life has changed. The loss of, of, of purity, our life will never be the same. The loss of a, of a job or of, a, of, another, of a relationship or the loss of a child, our lives will never be the same and we have to determine how to go on differently. Another emotion is the emotion of anger. Often hurt turns to anger, doesn't it? And it's one of the outward expressions of hurt, just to be angry. It can be toward a person who has passed on, a situation, the loss, uh, uh, the loss of a thing. We can be mad at the very thing we've lost. It can be anger toward ourselves, toward the others around us, and even toward God. It's a situation where we want answers and those answers are not readily available. Anger at God is simply a response to loss. It is not a loss of faith. It just needs to be expressed. If in a situation of loss you find yourself angry with God, my advice would be to tell him how you feel. He can handle it. He really can. But it is best expressed than suppressed. Another emotion is that of sadness and despair. 
and depression. It can seem as if the dark clouds will never go away. And it's easy to become oversensitive to what others say and do when we start falling into depression. And what that does is as we as we become sensitive to all this, it pushes friends and family further away and it makes the emotions feel even worse. Depression creates a distortion of life and intensifies guilt feelings that we have. And they just begin to pile one upon another and the hole gets deeper. Remember, as we read in Isaiah, that Jesus was no stranger to those feelings. He was sad and in despair in Gethsemane and on the cross. Then another emotion that can come out is that of relief. This is one that we rarely express because we feel that it seems out of place. It doesn't seem to match those, what we would call bad feelings. But when a long sick loved one passes on, there's relief. When an abusive relationship's end, there is relief. And we find our emotions confusing. But never feel that expressing relief is incorrect, that it's, a, it's an emotion you can't express. I remember well my mother who dealt with uh, her father for many years as he suffered through Alzheimer's. And as he got worse and worse, the family had to make the decision to put him in a care facility just for his own safety because he had become very, very violent and much, very... It wasn't safe for him to be alone in any capacity. And it wasn't for another year or so until he actually passed away. But I remember that very specifically the two ways that my mother grieved. The one, the more intense grief came when he was placed in this care facility. And I remember her saying, he's gone. My dad's gone. The dad that I knew is gone. When she would visit him, he wouldn't recognize her and forget that she'd been there the day before. And She lost him and grieved that loss. But at the, the day he passed away, it was a different emotion. It was, a, it was an emotion of relief that finally he was better off. And that the days of pain, of constant visiting and coming into this situation day after day. It was a relief for her. Neither of those emotions was wrong. But they had to be expressed in order to gain healing. Remember this too. There is no timeline for emotions. There is no time limit on dealing with grief. The important thing is that we move from step to step and we allow ourselves to come out of the grief and that we grow because of it. The psalmist in Psalm 13 uses the same term over and over in the midst of his grief. The psalm that Travis read earlier and the the phrase he uses over and over is how long? How long? Let's read that psalm again. Psalm 13. How long, O Lord? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? 
How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, O Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. My enemy will say I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord, for he has been good to me. In the first four verses, God is silent and far away. God is seemingly absent, the psalmist says. And yet in five and six, God is trusted as the one who is good to us. The most important thing that we must keep in mind during our grief is that God still wants the best for us. That He still wants us to grow in our relationship with Him. See, God has a growth goal for us through our pain and through our grief. And I would submit that His goal is faith. Faith. And I would define faith as believing against the grain. Those of you who are woodworkers know that what you want to make sure you don't do is cut against the grain. It's not the easiest way to cut. I'm told if you're a meat cutter, it's the same principle. Though we may feel very differently at times, the truth is that God has not abandoned us. And in order to believe that God has not abandoned us, we have to have faith. We have to believe against the grain of what we feel. God has not abandoned us. The truth is that people still matter. The truth is that life is still worth living. Faith means clinging to God in spite of our circumstances. It means following Him when we can't see Him. It means being faithful to Him when we don't feel like it. Faith is not knowing the answer to the why and being willing to wait for the answer. Or we may even get to the place where we don't really need an answer to move on. That is faith. I believe we can survive and thrive when we call out to God and ask Him, Help me believe. Help me believe. Well, we come to the place again where we can say, I believe God's promises are true. I believe that heaven is real. I believe that God will see me through. I believe that nothing can separate us from God's love. I believe God has work for me to do. Where we come to that place where we say, help me, Lord, to believe. In Gerald Sitzer's book, A Grace Disguised, He wrote about his experience of losing his mother, his wife, and his daughter in a tragic car accident. And he wrote this, Catastrophic loss, by definition, precludes recovery. It will transform us or destroy us, but it will never leave us the same. There is no going back to the past. It is not, therefore, true that we become less through loss unless we allow the loss to make us less grinding our soul down until there is nothing left. Loss can also make us more. I did not get over my loved ones. Rather, I absorbed the loss into my life until it became a part of who I am. 
sorrow took up permanent residence in my soul and enlarged it. The soul is elastic like a balloon. It can grow larger through suffering. Look at Psalm 43, 6 that says, I cried out to the Lord in my suffering and he heard me. He set me free from all my fears. And then again, Psalm 13, those last two verses, 5 and 6, I trust in your unfailing love and my heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord for he has been good to me. Now you may ask, will, will Scripture help you with your pain? And my answer would be, well, yes and no. The Scriptures are not a medicine cabinet. They are not filled with prescriptions to take the edge off life. They are filled with the truth about a God who came and suffered for us, who knew sorrow to its deepest extent, who took on our sin and suffered and felt alone. The stories of men and women of God who trusted when they could not see, who took steps of faith when they didn't know where that step would take them. There are stories about a God who during his most painful experience on this earth refused the wine mixed with myrrh that was offered to him on the cross to medicate his pain. I think there are three important realities we need to remember. The important thing to remember is that the passage that says, Be still and know that I am God does not say, be still and know why. God is far more concerned that we know Him than that we know an answer that we feel will solve all the problems. The second reality is that God is often silent when we prefer that He speak. And He interrupts us when we prefer that He was silent. God's ways are not our ways. And then the third reality is one that I grew up hearing and I didn't ever quite understand what it meant till I was well into adulthood. When you can't see God's hand, trust his heart. When you can't see the hand of God, the answer to the why is not there. Trust the heart of a loving God who wants our best, even in times of grief. And so we come again this year to this commemoration of our losses. Whatever that loss may be. Some of us have suffered loss to death this past year. Some have suffered the loss of a marriage or a relationship. Some have suffered the loss of a job or a career, or maybe as you've aged, you've lost what you felt was your freedom to, to get about and even take care of yourself. Maybe this year has been the loss of a dream. Maybe it's been the loss of, of purity to poor decisions. 
we created this as a place to have altar moments. And what I call altar moments is those times in life where we can go back to in our minds and recall that we encountered God in a place. And it gives us extra strength. And that's what this is about. It's, there's nothing magical about taking a, a small candle and lighting it from another. But there is a point at which God can, in those moments, as you acknowledge, this, this represents my loss, but I trust you. I trust your heart. We began last year by starting this process with the memory of those members of New Life who we've lost this past year. And since the first week of December of 2007, we've lost four members of New Life. The the first was on April 11th when David Shaw passed away. Someone who all of us who knew him learned from through his handicaps and through all that uh, he worked through in his life. David was, um, in honor of David Shaw this morning, was playing David's old guitar this morning through our worship time. And then on May 14th, we lost Isaiah McCarroll, just seven months old. One of those ones that's hard to understand. And yet we trust God's heart. Then on June 9th, we lost Larry Spann, who was involved throughout our ministries, took care of our grounds for years, ministered into a lot of your lives, who just a couple years before that showed us how to grieve as he lost his son in Iraq. And then on September 8th, Mike Lee passed into eternity. Most of you don't know Mike because he passed away on a golf course on Monday after joining our church the day before. Life throws us curveballs. We're not ready for the death part of life, the lost part of life. We're not ready for those times when marriages end and jobs are lost and tragedy strikes, when we're betrayed, when those closest to us hurt us. We're not ready for loss. Yet when it comes, we have to trust the heart of our Father. So as the guys come and they're going to play, this altar is opened up. Maybe you want to come by yourself or as a couple or as a family or with a friend. This is an opportunity for you to simply say to God, this is my loss. I acknowledge it and I acknowledge the fact that you're a loving God who cares about me. And I give that loss to you. Help me continue to grieve and process through this loss.